We're going to go to the book of Genesis if you'd like to get a head start. We're going to go to chapter 3. If we're going to learn how to conquer temptation, we must look at the most classic case study of all time about temptation, and that is the time when Satan and Eve had their interaction. The reason it is important to study that particular case, in addition just because it's Scripture, is because it is the first mention of temptation. In theology, there is a law called the law of first mention. The law of first mention means that uh, when you're trying to figure out an important theological um, concept, maybe even complex theological concept, then you go to the first place it is talked about, and then you begin to build from that, and then you compare other scriptures with the first case. It's called the law of first mention. The law of first mention reminds us that this case study is absolutely imperative, because honestly, even though this took place 6,000 years ago, give or take whatever amount of years, the fact is it has been repeated millions and millions of times during that time. And so we're going to talk about how to deal with temptation God's way. And if you're not careful, temptation will get you into big trouble. Consider the man and his wife who were shopping at a mall when a shapely young woman strolled by. The man's eyes followed her without looking up from the item that she was examining. The wife asked, was it worth the trouble you're in right now? <laughs> Amen. And the uh, truth is, we get ourselves in big trouble, don't we? All of us do, men and women. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you today that you're going to help us stay out of trouble and get out of trouble. Lord, I do pray that you would remember mercy with us, Lord. We're so human. And yet, Lord, give us the weapons we need today. In Christ's name, amen. All right, let's go to Genesis chapter 3, if you would, please. Let's read verse number 1 together. Ready? Begin. We have our um, text up here for you to read. Ready? Begin. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? First of all, let's talk about the tempter. And you might be surprised to find out who the tempter actually was. Now, God had made millions, and if there's such a word, zillions of heavenly beings called angels. Angels are very real, and they are certainly existing still today. They are awesome friends of God's people. They are known as the ministers to God's people. They ministered to Jesus, and they ministered to others in Scripture. They are wonderful. But tragically, one of them, Lucifer, became a ringleader, and he successfully was able to lead one-third of all the angels in a rebellion, and of all places, in heaven. <laughs> And that just tells me that it's not the environment that makes a person bad. They were in heaven, and he led this group of 
angels away. Today, we often call them demons. That's a Greek word, demoneo, which is referring to them in a negative sense. No sooner had they fallen to earth, and no sooner had Lucifer been able to successfully bring them over to his side, that he began to rage against God, and specifically against God's crowning creation, the human race. He was absolutely livid at God's favor on these humans and their happiness. Every day they would wake up and they would walk with God and they would uh, talk together and uh, they would spend time together and eat of all this beautiful food and it was just a glorious time of fellowship. All the while, Satan was just steaming. Now, he knew because of the way that God works his ways, he couldn't take those people to hell at his own will, but he would do everything in his power to somehow come between them and their God and anything good. Now, if you notice in these verses, uh, this particular verse, it says he was a serpent. Now, when we think of the word serpent, we think of a slithering snake. But the actual Hebrew word here means shining one. And that's, uh, uh, there's many places in Scripture where it talks about him shining or being very handsome or something very glorious to look at. I don't suspect that he looked like a snake because I hate snakes. And I can't imagine what Eve, a woman, would be looking at this snake, and she just said, no, I don't want anything to do with that. There was certainly nothing about his appearance, I think, that would be repulsive. In fact, the very name Lucifer, his name in heaven, was light bearer. He's called the son of the morning by one of the prophets, meaning this guy was really a beautiful creature. We also told in this verse, not only was he beautiful and shining, but he was subtle very smart. Maybe the word shrewd might be better. In Jesus, in the Gospels, told us that when, uh, if we're going to be successful in our lives, we need to be wise like a serpent. He thought of the one creature that might be the smartest, and he said, you need to be uh, smart like a serpent. We're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, that he has wiles, or excuse me, he has devices. And boy, he certainly is always devising something. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11, it says he has wiles. That's the King James Version. The Greek word is methodeia. It's the same word we get our word method from. Sometimes when we think of the devil and his temptations, we think, oh, well, he's just throwing everything, you know, he can't at us, including the kitchen sink. But I would tell you this morning that the uh, devil is not willy-nilly just uh, trying anything. He has methods, and he knows our gender. He knows our age. He knows our uh, proclivities. He knows everything about us, and he has methods, and certainly we see his methods as he dealt uh, with Eve, the tempter, Lucifer, a shining one, the tempted, number two, it says in verse number one that he said unto the woman, he came after a woman. Who was this woman who was the tempted? First of all, she was unprotected. 
God created two genders in the beginning, male and female. Genetically speaking, that's XY and XX. Scripture says, male and female made he them. That's God's plan, and that's what God did. There's no such thing as any more than two genders. Now, if you were to go on Facebook this morning, you would be able to sign up and register of 50 different genders. And in the UK, there's 71 genders there. I'm not sure what's going on over there, but, uh, but the fact is, whether Facebook says 50 genders or 71 genders, the fact is there's only two genders. Now, why is this important? Because God indicates that both were perfectly designed. And yet, God said that one of the two actually is weaker. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, he said, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, that is your wife, according to knowledge. The word knowledge there just means understanding, be understanding. Giving honor to her. Honor her, be very sensitive to her. Why? Because she is a weaker vessel. Now, obviously, typically, a woman is weaker physically, uh, but yet this verse is indicating there's something more about this weakness. And comparing verses with verses, for example, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14, the Bible reminds us that by virtue of her being able to be deceived by Satan and first in the transgression, God said that she is more vulnerable. And that's a good word to remember, vulnerable. Weaker, simply meaning vulnerable. Now, when we talk about vulnerable, we do not mean less valuable. We're not saying that she has any less access to God. But rather, this verse is simply saying that every husband needs to treat his wife with tenderness, with patience, and he will need to protect her, obviously her body, obviously protect her financially. But I think in this verse, it's indicating that a husband needs to be a covering for his wife's spiritual protection. Here's the point I'm making. Satan goes after the vulnerable. He not only goes after the vulnerable, notice where he hits them. He hits them in the most beautiful of places. Of all things, he hits this woman in the midst of paradise. And I remind you that if you have paradise right now, <laughs> you have a great marriage, you have a great job, you have a great life, you have a great uh, friends or whatever, you may be in paradise, but that does not mean that you are going to escape the devil because he comes in paradise. I'm not trying to get us to be neurotic here. I'm just trying to remind us that the Bible says that at times false teachers will become angels of light. And so she was unprotected. She was also unaccompanied. Now, where was Adam? That's certainly a big question. Now, you might be looking for Marco Polo, or you might be looking for Waldo, or whatever else, but I'm looking for Adam. Where is Adam? She was unaccompanied. Now, the devil's strategy is always to go after people when they're alone. 99% of our temptations happen when we're alone, when there's nobody around us. That's when Satan came after Jesus, when he was alone. Had she been close to Adam, she would not nearly have been so exposed. 
Now, obviously, we can't always stay in close proximity with everybody that might be a protection to us, but we ought to always stay close emotionally and maybe even more important, spiritually. We need to have a spiritual closeness. I remind each husband that he is as responsible for his wife's spiritual growth as he is for his own. I remind every wife she is as responsible for her husband's spiritual growth as she is for her own. That doesn't mean we can make them do something. It just means we ought to invest in them. We ought to invest prayers and give them verses and encourage them and be a protection to them. My wife is a protection to me. I am a protection to her. We stay close emotionally. I can't preach if we're not right with each other. I can't. I just won't do it. I've told her many a time, I said, you know, if there's an issue, if there's a situation, I just, I can't minister. It's just not the way I'm made. I got to make sure that everything's clear. Did Adam go off that day? Had there been a crossword? I don't know. Whatever the case was, he was gone and she was alone. It's important to be alone at times, of course. You can't be a good Christian without having private devotions. But there's a big difference between being alone and being a loner. And when you're a loner, you're just asking for trouble. When I was growing up, I had several favorite TV programs. One of my most favorite TV programs was a cowboy. He wore a red bandana. He had a black mask. He rode a white horse. And he had a sidekick who called him Kimusabi. You know who that was? That is the Lone Ranger. I know some of you little ones may not even know what that is, but the Lone Ranger. Today, we have too many Lone Ranger Christians. They may not wear a bandana or a black mask or ride a white horse, but I will tell you, they just ride off and they feel like they can do it alone. Our church contributes so much strength and safety to our lives. We can't be right with God and wrong with church. Let me say that again. You can't be right with God and wrong with church. The devil will lick his chops when we ride off into the sunset as the lone ranger. Sheep need a shepherd, and sheep also need other sheep. She was unaccompanied, unprotected, unaccompanied, and third of all, she was unsuspecting. He took advantage of her. She was very close to the tree. Eve, what were you doing by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? What were you doing there? What were you thinking? Was she curious? Did she just want a closer look? She was so close, all it took was a push, and she was in big trouble. Have you ever realized in life how much trouble we could get out of if we just avoided it? Just avoided it. <laughs> Sometimes we feel like, you know, there's no way to win over temptation. You know what? Avoiding things can, that, that can take care of a majority of our issues. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 15 says, avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it and pass away. Folks, if you're having a problem with a certain thing, avoid it. If you're having a problem with certain people, avoid them. I mean, quit listening to them, quit hanging around them. You say, well, I just, no, just avoid it. Ignore it. That's one of the best ways to have a happy life is just avoid things. 
Romans 16, 17 says, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. I realized it's funny always to me when I see the secular press using biblical terminology. I read this week that some liberal group is saying that they should shun Republicans, shun them for their you know, racist-ism or whatever they're saying. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Using a biblical good concept like this shunning, although it's not the word shunning, it's simply what it's saying, mark them and avoid them. Just avoid them. Just stay away from them. First Corinthians 7 and 2 says, nevertheless, avoid fornication. Just avoid it. We can avoid so much in life if we just don't go close by. Eve, you were way too close. The tempter, the tempted. And now this morning, the temptation. We're going to spend the balance of our time on this because it is absolutely, if it weren't so terrible, it would be brilliant. Look at verse 1. It says, And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Notice the word said. Is that word made her? No, it said he said her. Nobody can make her eat that of that tree. Nobody could make her do anything she didn't want to do. It says he said to her. That tells me words matter. Every word we listen to, that tells me that words matter. That means every word we say, words matter. It was words that the devil used. It was words he said to the woman. Sometimes we have the ignorant concept that, you know, we doesn't make any difference. I'm strong and I can continue to listen to things and I can pick through the bones and eat the chicken. I'll tell you one thing. There is none of us that are smart enough to always escape words. Words. Little phrases act like little time bombs that get inside of our mind and they go off at oftentimes the most inopportune times. What did he do? First of all, he placed doubt. He placed doubt. This verse says, God said, ye shall not eat of every tree in the garden. Now, he didn't come out and just boldly attack God or even attack her. He starts with an innocent, innocent question. Hey, uh, Eve, uh, hey, uh, hey, um, I heard some news. I just kind of wonder if it's true. Um, I hear God won't let you eat trees. Uh, he won't let you eat from trees, you know. The, I hear he doesn't like uh, you wanting to eat fruit. Now, he put a negative slant on the news. He heard the news, but he put a negative spin on it. That's exactly opposite of what God said. He didn't say you can't eat. He said of every tree you may eat, but of one tree he made an exception. And yet the one thing that Satan grabbed onto was not, you can eat of the one million trees, but one tree not. He didn't, he didn't say, oh, God is so amazing. He's got all these trees for you to eat. No. He said, uh, he suggested maybe God was 
you know, had some issues or what's God's problem? He latched onto the one exception. And then tauntingly mocking her conservative approach to life, as if to say, oh, you're kind of a chicken, aren't you? You're not going to eat of that one tree. Eve, at that moment, the minute she sensed something coming negative, she should have said, I will tell you one thing, God always has a good reason for the things that He prohibits. Get out of here. Just get. Look what it says, verse 1, and the serpent said to the woman. Now look at verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent. Wow, we've got a problem right there. We have a precious little lady talking to Satan. They're having a conversation. Satan is talking to her. She's talking to him. They're going back and forth. And she is actually trying to win an argument of truth. Eve had no business getting into a conversation with the devil. The devil slithered up next to Eve, and the very first thing she should have said was, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ, and quoted a verse. That's exactly what our Savior did. Three times we are told in Scripture that Satan came to him, and every time he said, it is written, it is written, it is written, and quoted the book of Deuteronomy each time, and he said, get out of here, Satan. And he run that sword through old smutty face, and he said, get. He just chased him off like an old dog. And that's what Eve should have done. But Eve carried on a discussion. And when she did, unknowingly, she opened her mind. Pastor Mike, uh, uh, last year or a couple years ago, said something so brilliant, among all the other brilliant things he says. But one of the things he said was, I, because I wanted to teach you this, will share some of the, uh, um, some of the false doctrine of these uh, false teachers. But he said, I recommend and ask you not to do this. Do not study it. And I thought, how wise and what a, what a skillful shepherd. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about a, a master builder. You know, there's lots of people who talk about the Bible and lots of people who do, doing this and that, but there are only a few master builders. He was a master builder at that moment. He was building and he was saying, as a good shepherd, he was saying, do not even open your mind to this. Why? Because most of us aren't discerning enough to see when something is not all that it's supposed to be. When she carried on a discussion with Satan, she opened her mind. And no human is able to outthink and outtalk the devil. It's been said that we can't keep birds from flying over our heads. We can certainly keep them from making a nest in our hair. And that's exactly what she did. She allowed the devil to make a nest in her hair when she carried on a conversation. And what happened? Satan placed doubt in her mind because he put a question mark right after God's statement. And more and more today, people are questioning the things of God, questioning the validity of Scripture. For years, there have been people, sadly, oftentimes in seminaries, putting a question mark behind the inerrancy of Scripture. We stand today as a fundamental Bible-believing church reminding you that we literally believe every verse, every jot and tittle is inspired by God. But I tell you, that is actually beginning to be 
the exception rather than the rule. Sadly, there have been people with all kinds of alphabet letters behind their names saying, well, you know, this and this and this. I tell you, it has been a, an attack for years. There have been attack in recent years on the relevancy of Scripture. Does it mean anything? Or is it just outdated? Is it archaic? And most recently, and this is absolutely puzzling to me, honestly it is, now people are beginning to question the morality of Scripture. The new generation, sometimes known as the millennials, there I read a statistic the other day that something, some amazing statistic, almost like half of the millennials not only don't believe the Bible, that would be one thing, but they actually think the Bible is negative. It is repressive. It is racist. It is uh, against good morals. The folks, we've come to the place where exactly what it says in Scripture, that where people are calling good evil and evil good. That's when we get to that place, God said, that is certainly the last days. Now, you put it down plain and you put it down straight. Any man, any woman, any professor, any so-called science person, any boomer, any Gen Xer, any millennial, any one of them, anywhere who puts a question mark after the Word of God is doing the work of the devil. That is the devil's work. That's exactly what they're doing. And why is doubt so effective? Because the devil knows if he can get us doubting, we, the next step is drifting. Because when we begin to doubt, the next step is beginning to say, well, maybe we ought to try something else. And look at verse 3. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, Eve, sadly, made a mistake in thinking she was able to debate with Satan. And here in verse 3, we see that she added something to Scripture. God never said, touch it, but she did. She added to Scripture when she said, God said, you can't touch it. He didn't say that. She also took away from Scripture in verse 2, when she admitted what God had already said, the word freely. And then in verse 3, she also changed the word by making God's statement, you shall surely die into lest you die. Eve was in way over her head. She was getting rattled, and she was misquoting Scripture. She was changing Scripture. She was debating with Satan, she was thinking she could be, she was theologically smart enough to bring him down. But I remind us, if Satan can bring doubts about the Word of God, he can bring doubts about Jesus Christ. That's why all of us need to come with the, we need to always have this mind, Scripture is true. I've told so many people over the years when I talk to them about the things of God, you know, they look at the Bible and say, hey, I'm just not sure, I have my questions. You know, I look at the Bible and I say, I've got questions, but I know the Bible is true. It's all how you look at the Bible. My filter is the Bible is always true. I just need to learn to, what it means. 
I have doubts, but I accept that, that the Bible is true. Some people have doubts and they're questioning the Bible. Folks, just believe that it's true. It's a much better way to go at life. There have been doubts, many doubts over the years, and yet each one I've gone to the Lord and said, Lord, and He always meets me with those, and He comes and He takes care of them. Here's what I've learned. If you'll just keep reading the Word, bringing in the Word, let it just wash and wash, all of a sudden the doubts begin to just filter away. He placed doubt. Number two, he denies any danger. He tells her to, don't worry about any danger, not going to be in trouble. Verse number four, and the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. First, Satan teaches us to doubt, then he teaches us to deny. From skepticism to atheism. Once doubt opens the door, then he's going to go for a broadside attack on the truth. He simply says to her, you will not die. Man, he's getting bold. He said, I know God will not punish for sin. Really? God is not going to punish for sin? I know that's true. <laughs> you actually know the exact opposite, devil, because you are being able to have this conversation with Eve because you have been punished. And yet he lied. He said, you're not going to be punished for sin. But I will tell you, that is the devil's gospel. Anybody who says you can sin with impunity is doing the devil's work. Here's what it says in Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death. Ezekiel 18, verse 20 says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. I tell you this morning, if you can show me any time, any place, anywhere, or anybody who has ever sinned and got away with that sin, I will just close my Bible up and never preach again because so many today are saying, you know, we need to just move on with life and, you know, not worry about sin. God doesn't judge sin, but He does. In fact, in the book of Numbers, He says, be sure your sin will find you out. Sometimes people say, well, you know, God is too good to punish sin. You have it exactly opposite. No, God is not too good to punish sin. It is God's goodness. It is His righteousness. It is His holiness that says all sin must be punished. Heaven is a glorious place, and it is free of sin. Many people today want to take the concept of hell and punishment out of the Bible and say, you know, that's for uneducated people. It always uh, amazes me how often people take a conservative person and say, oh, they're uneducated. They don't have any teeth or, you know, whatever they want to say. The fact is, folks, uh, the uh, true education and real education lets us know that God's word is true. And yes, punishment is very real. It is said that Abraham Lincoln asked a little boy one time, he said, son, if a dog has four legs, and then you call his tail a leg, how many legs would he then have? The little boy thought about it for a second. He said, well, then he'd have five legs. Abraham Lincoln said, no, he'd only have four. Because no matter what you call his tail, it is still a tail. And no matter what people say about hell, say, oh, it doesn't mean anything, or it's a figment of our imagination, or whatever. No, the fact is, you cannot change the Word of God. God is very clear. He said it is, it is something that is very real. Now, the devil came to hear, and he said, I'm going to do everything I can to tell her there's no danger. Go ahead and try it. You'll like it. 
He placed doubt. He denied danger. And number three, he promised delight. Let's read verse 5 together if you would. All right. Ready, begin. For God doth know in that day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now, you can't have a trap without a bait, whether it's cheese or a big old juicy lure or whatever the case is. Here's the bait. He said, you shall be as gods. The Hebrew word there is Elohim, which means mighty God, meaning you'll be omnipotent. Nothing will be denied to you. You are self-sufficient, and you don't have to be dependent upon anybody else. He said, if you will eat of this tree, you will be like God yourself. Nothing can be denied you. And then notice what he said. You can have it now, in the day you eat. So he promised her independence. He promised her immediate gratification. Gratify yourself. Don't deny yourself. You only live once. YOLO, come on, Eve. Buy into this thing. This is going to do good for you. He looked at Eve and said, Eve, I am going to empower women. You don't have to conform to this misogynist, repressive Bible concepts. Try it. You might like this kind of lifestyle. He was trying to get her to be the first liberated woman, and that was Satan's concept. In fact, it seems so reasonable. Why should I have to have somebody telling me what to do? Why should I be the weaker vessel? Why should I be the one that's under submission? Why should I be even under God? I can be my own God. I remind you that Satan wasn't trying to get her to do something gross or repulsive. He's far too subtle for that. He wasn't trying to get her to be a devil. Actually, he was trying to get her to be a God. The temptation that Satan has wasn't to try to get her to fall down, but to rise up. Insist on your rights. It's been said that if you insist on your rights, there'll be a riot. If you insist on your responsibilities, there'll be a revival. We're so busy always demanding our rights and demanding our rights, and that's what Satan says to her. She says, he says, you ought to you shouldn't have to be like this. You should be your own woman, and you should be a, a God yourself. And that's his best advertisement. I remind you this morning that Satan's best advertisement isn't somebody who's drunk out there on Skid Row. It isn't somebody who's all gnarled up with substance abuse. It isn't someone, you know, some greedy person from Wall Street. No, the fact is, he, even though those are certainly people he's inspired, his greatest temptation his greatest advertisement is to remind us we can be our own God, to be gods, to be, a, to be good and to be your own God. He doesn't try to get people to go down. He tries to get them to rise up, but to be independent of God. You should be the one who decides what's right and wrong, not somebody else, and certainly not some man. You ought to be the one who decides what is right and what is wrong. What did he use to get her to this point? First of all, he used dissatisfaction. And boy, I'm telling you what, this is absolutely one of the biggest weapons of Satan. What all advertisers do, they try to get you to be dissatisfied. 
Aren't you tired of driving that old car that can't start in the morning? Aren't you tired of this and that? And dissatisfaction is the first thing. Satan then used ambition. First of all, it was dissatisfaction. Then it was ambition. Satan ruined himself by a lust to be like God. And now he tried to seek to get her to have that same excessive desire. And then thirdly, it was insinuation. That's what he used to get her to have these desires. And that is that somehow God was being selfish. Somehow God didn't want her to take this for his own reasons. Somehow God had a, something against her. He was throwing shade all over God. Insinuation. Folks, when you're around somebody and they, you feel a dissatisfaction, you're reading their Facebook page, you feel a dissatisfaction, something's not good. When you then uh, sense that sense that I can be this or I can be that, and then when someone is bringing down God, bringing down church, bringing down people that preach or whatever the case is, the Word of God, folks, Satan is a sower of discord, and he will alienate everybody he can from their affections in God. I got to tell you, I was so thrilled, and I had to laugh this last week. I read about a case in North or South Carolina where a, a man, they still have a law on the books there, not in California, but they do there, where you can actually sue another person, a man or woman, you can sue them for alienation of affection. If they come along and woo your mate and then end up marrying them and they leave you and, you divorce, and they divorce you, you can actually sue that person for alienation of affection. I thought, man, this guy sued this guy for hundreds of thousands of dollars. I guess the woman actually was his business partner too, in addition to being his wife. But I thought, man, that is a, that's amazing. That's, boy, that's what we ought to do. Alienation of affection. And that's exactly what Satan is trying to do. He's trying to get between us and God. And he will use doubt, danger, and delight. And finally, he will use desire. Look at verse 6. Notice these parts of the verse. And when the woman saw, and when the woman saw, you're looking, you're kind of, those big eyeballs are looking too much. When she saw the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, watch out. Sometimes people say, you know, men are affected by the eyes, and women uh, Yes, and women are affected by touch. Well, I'll tell you, both is the case. Both of us are affected by both. The fact is, and a tree desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now, what did the devil do? He took a perfectly acceptable God-given desire, a God-given ambition, a God-given drive, and puts it into hyperdrive. For example, desiring food is normal. In fact, loving food is certainly normal. God said He made all things richly for us to enjoy. He told the New Testament Christians, don't ever call unclean what I have called clean. And yet, gluttony is a perversion of what God intended. Today, many people actually have food disorders and it's, they've taken something that was a God-given desire 
And it's gone off the rails because Satan is creating this desire. The desire for sex is normal. A man and a woman ought to, that are married ought to desire each other. But adultery is a perversion of God's plan. The fact is the devil is the original pervert. It's, he tries to get people in a normal thing and pervert that desire. Now notice this verse. It says, she saw, she took, she did eat. It doesn't say Satan made her look, Satan made her choose that. No, it was her decision. When you and I uh, were made, God gave us a free will. And we have a real will to be able to say no, and we have a will to be able to say yes. In a few moments, we're going to finish this part of the service, and I'm going to give a, a gospel invitation. And when I do so, I'm going to ask you to exercise your will. You'll get a chance to say, yes, I want Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask those folks that are here that want to make a decision like that to come up here and pray with us, and others to come as well. All of us have a decision, and we can make that decision for God. But while I'm making that decision, and while I'm saying those words, here's what's happening. Satan will be saying something completely different in your ear. He'll be saying, oh, you know, you shouldn't do that, or maybe you ought to check it out some more. I've never understood why people want to check out and wait when something is being spoken from God's Word. Now, if somebody was teaching me about, you know, uh, cars or whatever, yeah, I'd go home and do my research. But when somebody tells me something from Scripture that's true, then the only response is obedience. You can't think about it. Thinking about it is disobedience. God said, obey. That's why he said, obey the gospel. So this morning, the devil is saying, you know, you ought to think about it, or maybe you ought to wait, or whatever the case is. And when Eve decided to take of that fruit and become a god, now she was purposed not to. When she was debating with the devil, she was quoting scripture to him. She was talking about God, and the devil hooked her with her own words. He hooked her with scripture. He hooked her with her own desires, and he, he just began to play her like a fiddle. And she soon was in his hand, and he knew he had gotten her, but it still wasn't the case until she decided and his final push was, you can be a god. You can be your own person. You can, you can soar. and you, it, It's your own body. You can do what you want with your own body. You shouldn't have anybody tell you what to do. You should be able to eat of every tree. And he was negative, and he was doing everything he could to get her to make that choice. And here's what happened. When she did, when she made the choice... She didn't become a god. In fact, the exact opposite. She became a slave. How do I know that? Because John 8 and verse 34, Jesus said, Whosoever commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave. Her choice that she said would make her free and make her her own god was the very chain that bound her. I'll close with a story that I read. 
There was a certain uh, leader of a country of, known as Syracuse. He was a very harsh man, a tyrant as he was known. And he had something against the blacksmith in his kingdom. He called the blacksmith in, who was unaware that he had gotten out of favor with this king. I would like to see a specimen of your work. Would you come please and show it to me? In fact, bring your bellows, bring your forge, bring your anvil, bring your hammer, and come here and make for me one of your famous chains. Well, this blacksmith felt like, man, he had arrived. He was able to come and perform and show his wares before the king himself. So he brought everything, brought the forge, brought the anvil, brought his bellows, took his hammer, and boy, he made a chain like nobody could make. With his hammer and with his anvil, he made this chain so strong. And when he was done, he held up that chain and he said, sire, here's a specimen of my work. This chain is so strong that not even the greatest team of horses could pull it apart. And then with a fiendish gleam in his eye, the tyrant looked at this blacksmith and he said, guards, take the chain, bind it to him, and throw him in the dungeon. And here he was. He was chained with the very chain that he had forged himself. And that's what happens today. Nobody can be bound by Satan unless they build that chain themselves. But we can be free. We can be free and say, you know what, I'm going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He places doubt. He denies danger. He promises delight. And He uses our desires. Would you bow your heads with me, please?